Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Sunday, December the 17th, 2023. We never sleep on this show. Uh, perhaps we are powered and aided with AI. We've been focusing on AI recently. At the end of each show, I ask my guests to imagine one area where they would hope uh, AI could fix the future, address some of the core structural problems of our age, from the environment to politics to inequality. But I'm going to begin that question with uh, our show today. Our guest, Mark Minovich, um, is an authority on AI, is on all sorts of UN committees uh, and other associations associated with AI for the good. And he has an interesting new book out called Our Planet Powered by AI, How We Use Artificial Intelligence to Create a Sustainable Future for Humanity. Could have borrowed uh, from his sub. Uh, from from the subtitle, he could have borrowed, or maybe I borrowed uh, the final question uh, of our show these days. Mark is joining us from the New York City area. Mark, tell us, uh, let's begin with that question. If there was one area where you hope or expect AI to address the structural problem of the future, what would it be? Thank you, first of all, for having me here today on, on Sunday morning. Uh, I'm coming to you live from New York. Um, so glad to be here and address this. I think the area that I would focus on, and I hope everybody would focus on, is our future, our next generation, our children, our grandchildren. How can AI make a future better for them and for our planet? And that means reconstructing the education system. It means reconstructing the systemic efforts of our sustainable environment, including climate, including our infrastructure, our healthcare. If we do that properly and AI gives us that capability, I'm sure over my 20 plus years of experience on both strategy, policy, technology, research, I could tell you AI is the prime tool, the prime enabler of the future that our children, our next generation, our youth deserve to live. And AI will provide that future, but we are the ones that have to lay the groundwork and make sure that we are providing that pioneering effort for them. And that's what I believe. And that's why this book is so important, because this book is all about the future. It's about the next generation. I end the book about the younger people that are suffering right now. They're neglected. They are not being let in in the conversation. And I think this future, which is digital plus cognitive which includes this generative this new generative ai allows them this this view of tomorrow which i think is so promising so promising and it will alleviate many of their concerns where they could don't have to focus on rudimentary things in life where they focus they use their brain they use their creativity to make an impact on this planet and become really something important for themselves for their families and for the planet uh mark are you in your fellow mark uh at least their, their first name mark andreessen camp of imagining that ai can create a future of abundance there are a number of we might call them utopians or certainly cornucopians 
who see AI as um, the beginnings of an age of abundance, uh, as my friend uh, Albert Wenger, uh, the um, a partner at Union Square Ventures in New York, also imagines a world after capital. Is 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 this the the school where you're coming from, the Andreessen Wenger school? And I'm I not. Do right. I do no, no. I do. I do support them. I do support them uh, quite strongly. I I read their work. Uh, my book was uh, actually in the process years ago before they came out with those fantastic statements, which I read and I support. I think that we are underestimating the power of AI, and we're focusing way too much on the negative implications of AI. We are focusing too much on reports that are coming out of Goldman Sachs. We're focusing a lot on some scary movies, on entertainment. We're focusing on wrong things at, the, at, at this time. Of course, AI is a powerful tool, meaning if it's in the hands of good people, of democratic countries with democratic values, good things will happen. AI falls into authoritarian regimes. AI falls in the hands of terrorists. AI falls in the dark side, uh, you need to, obviously, negative negative consequences will follow. But I think if we are going to position AI uh, as a thinking tool, as a thinking machine, you know, having humans still on, on in the top on the top of the pyramid and having AI as an enabler, as a tool, as augmentation, I think we're moving in the right direction, both on eco economy, competitiveness, social values and 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 really solving our global challenges i think also in the camp of Ilya, the chief scientist of open ai i'm in the same camp i've seen him recently his uh, interesting interview where he talks about ai is going to bring a lot more than efficiency it's going to solve a lot of those very complex problems and i i believe that it can but it will require an effort on both sides it's not just research it's not just innovators it's not just big tech. In fact, big tech is part of the problem, I think. Right, you and know, that's, uh, how would you address that issue of, of big tech? Many of the skeptics, and many of them have been on the show, people like uh, Gary Marcus, for example, uh, Susan Crawford, they all fear big tech. Uh, OpenAI is, of course, now a $100 billion company, uh, very intimately associated with Microsoft. Google is another major player. Why should we trust big tech? They got it wrong with social media. They got it wrong with Web 2.0. Why, why is this time going to be any different? I don't think we need to fully trust big tech. I think we. the point here is we cannot and should not have AI, an important technology which addresses systemic issues. It's not just technology for the sake of technology. Let me break it down. AI is 10% algorithms. 20% uh, deeper uh, technology and, in, and engineering that supports this, and 70% is culture, is collaborative effort, is knowledge. So are we going to trust this knowledge and collaborative effort and all of this um, stuff that is going to change humanity to big tech? I don't, I don't, I am not in that camp. You know, I don't think that we will, we should trust, you know, the largest companies, you know, even though they are, may, maybe they mean well, Microsofts and Googles, I think there has to be a way where international organizations, together with communities and ecosystems uh, and others and small startups, have a chance to address society's biggest problems. And I don't think 
Big tech is in a position. I think big tech wants to get in our lives. They want to understand everything about us. And then they want to make money with it. You know, that's why they're there. They're making crazy amounts of money. They're all about efficiency, you know, as well as everybody else in the enterprise. But I think AI is not just about efficiency. AI is about this sustainable uh, world which we're building. And it's a big part of the SDGs. It's a big part of the United Nations goals. And I think we have to we have to uh, take apart and disassemble this efficiency process and control from the big tech and all this innovation into what AI really represents and what AI should have been representing. Again, now we're in an interesting point. Let right. me tell you're, you. You're talking yeah. a good game, Mark. But then, of course, you, you're part of that world where everyone talks a good game in the the UN world. You talk about SDGs. You talk about the UN, but the UN doesn't seem to have had much success on the climate front. They certainly haven't any, had any success in terms of ending wars in, in Ukraine or in Gaza. Why should we expect the UN to have any more success when it comes to AI? It seems to be a particularly ineffective, uh, bureaucratized or, uh, network organization. It's the best we have. It's the best we have. No organization is perfect today. No government is perfect. They're trying, they're making an effort. Uh, they're public servants. You know, I feel myself as I'm a humble servant to this planet myself. And we are making, everybody is making an effort. The World Bank, the IMF, United Nations, they just announced a new AI initiative, high body group uh, at the United Nations to try to really get a semblance on ethics and responsible AI. It's a complex problem. It doesn't mean that everything is solved, but we have to start talking. And we have to start fielding information and making sense, you know, what could we do and what we can. So we have a, a prescriptive formula, a roadmap, a blueprint for the future. We can't suddenly just expect miracles from the United Nations. You know, like, they, they, of course, the problems are very severe. You mentioned Ukraine, you mentioned the Middle East, other problems. But we have to start somewhere. We have to bring people together. And we cannot just rely on pure researchers and pure technologists to solve this problem. And this is my book pointed out many, many things where we have to look at use cases. We have to look at what's going on now in the in hospitals across the world. We have to look at our what universities, research labs, and there's a lot of good stuff. The problem with this, the problem with this is that we're not spending enough right now today on the social agenda and the social impact and the social humanity purpose of AI, everything is going on corporate efficiency and optimization. And so when you have all this money and all this lobbying going in on the corporate efficiency, you're going to have disparity. We're going to, I'm trying to change this equation. We are speaking with Mark Minovich, uh, a leader in the area of AI, thinking about AI. Uh, he's a technologist and entrepreneur. He's very much involved with the UN. And he has a new book out, very interesting book, uh, appropriately titled, given the challenges of today, Our Planet Powered by AI. Mark, earlier in the conversation, you noted that you don't want this technology falling into the hands of bad governments, undemocratic governments. But the reality is, whatever the Biden administration feels or, or does, uh, China is a leader in AI. It may even be more of a not, leader than the United States, or is that not, wrong? Not true at all. Not true. I, I don't know where you're getting this information. Maybe you're interviewing way too many Chinese leaders on this, on this podcast. That is not true. United States is leading pretty much everywhere in terms of our ability to 
develop and have breakthroughs in LLMs and generative AI that are proven, that are actually tested and assured. Um, and uh, again, they're not perfect. Um, uh, they are relying upon information that exists in public domains across the world. But that's 20, 20 plus years of our global experiences in LLMs. We are leading in that area. You know, China, of course, is making progress on patents and they're making progress in terms of uh, reports that are being generated by academia. But in terms of practical knowledge, in terms of our integration with academia, universities, startups and solutions, uh, if you just look at the numbers, if you look at generative AI and, and all of the technology around it, it pretty much exists in the corridor of Silicon Valley where you are in Boston area, in New York, where am I, and in Toronto area. This is the majority of generative AI, which the world is going after. So U.S. is doing something right because it's this interesting competitiveness. It's this positioning between universities, research, startups, and large companies. We're all in this together. We don't necessarily depend on the government. But I also will have to tell you, Biden's administration, and I wrote a, a big piece as a contributor, as a columnist for Forbes, you know, saying this is an amazing, um, amazing executive order because President Biden recognized in the United States that we have to focus on impact. We have to focus on, on recruiting talent for AI. At the same time, we have to have uh, guardrails. You know, we can't go um, yeah, all over the place. You have to have strong guardrails to protect the public. But you cannot heavily, heavily regulate every part of AI and all these industries. I think you have to have a balance. And I think this executive order, very strongly worded, uh, very professionally done, is something that I think every American should be proud of. It looks at enhancing our position, our innovative position, at the same time also providing certain guardrails yeah, that we need in healthcare. Uh, Ed, uh, when uh, Kamala Harris gave the presentation, she talked about artificial intelligence in service of the public interest. Although, coming back to China, I'm not sure everyone would agree with you, Mark. I'm talking to Kishore Mabubani in Singapore tomorrow. I think he he may have a different opinion on whether or not China. You is know, I, I have to AI. tell you, I have to tell you something. We are not in the globalist world right now. As World Economic Forum says, and I'm a member of the World Economic Forum, we're in the fragmented world right now. What it means is we have several camps. We have the United States and our G7 alliances. You know, we have a program called GPI, I think. You know, some of my colleagues participate. Very powerful program of our alliances. We stand for free, open, democratic AI based on our principles of values, of purpose. Of, uh, and we have China and authoritarian regimes, Russia, Iran, that are standing, you know, with a different purpose. What, the, what they're using it is for surveillance in their countries. They're using it on, uh, against human rights. You know, they're doing it in different parts of their prospective countries. I certainly believe that we have to stand for the right things. And I, 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 the world is going to be very different. The world is already different. You know, when you have the BRICS economies and you have the other camps, but we have so much going on. And I believe, I, corely, I, I believe strongly that the United States, with its strong focus on science and technology and innovation and our allies, we will lead the world and we will show the world how it needs to be done. When it comes to China and AI, whether or not China is pioneering generative AI, they're certainly very good at mimicking American technology. What should American policy be when it comes to Chinese technology? Mimicking, mimicking. They're stealing American technologies. They're stealing technology. Uh, They've been stealing technology from, everybody from, America, else, from American universities, from research. 
and Biden administration stepped up. Every university, every research facility in the United States is taking measures against intellectual theft, especially from China. It's not going to happen again. It happened before this administration. It's not going to happen. I see major steps to be taken where the theft has been so open in the public. And I think our Justice Department and groups are on top of the situation. I feel very strongly we have good control. And now, besides that, regulations and sanctions are coming where certain technologies are not coming to China, right? They're not coming. Yeah. You know, all of all of those neuromorphic chips, you know, the 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 cloud ser- the the cloud services, the compute power is not going to go to China. You know, there are going to be limitations even though we will continue to have relationship and I think those are good actions. We have to be very careful how American sensitive technology ends up in China. Mark, I wonder whether there's a degree of incompatibility between all your talk of the UN and all this rather overt hostility towards Chinese tech and, and allowing China to develop its own uh, AI. It, it, is the talk of China as a threat? I, I don't suppose that would be very popular at the UN. Would I'm not here to be popular. I'm here to support humanity and sustainable development and people around the world. We deserve a better future. We deserve the future where we take care of the issues regarding climate agenda. We started the program called um, uh, Planet, uh, Our Planet for AI, which is the initiative focusing on identifying solutions of uh, applications and startups that are driving significant change and are being incorporated across the world to deal with grid uh, management, weather forecasts, dealing with limited carbon reduction, carbon removal, we need to identify those solutions and make sure that the investors know about them, me- start mentoring, start leading that effort. You know, I'm not here. I'm not in politics. I'm not here to debate China versus U.S. We'll let other people do it. You know, anybody could could come onto your show and discuss. I'm here to say that we have to stop focusing on just productivity and efficiency and making sure the wealthiest get wealthier. You know, some of the wealthiest U.S. corporations are leveraging AI to improve their productivity, their competitiveness, uh, but they're not giving anything to the people like us. We need to make sure that we have a healthier life, better life, a life that we are all proud of. And that's really the focus of my 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 time and, 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 and the work that I do around the world. And we'll get into that in the second part of the interview. We're speaking with uh, Mark Minovich, uh, author of an intriguing new book, Our Planet Powered by AI. It's an interesting idea of having a planet powered by AI. Uh, this show isn't planet powered by AI, but it is in part powered by Liberties, a quarterly journal of culture and politics, excellent new publication who helps support me bring high quality guests like Mark Minovich. I'm gonna run a short feature on Liberties and then we'll be back with Mark to talk specifically about education and climate and healthcare and the other areas where he believes uh, AI can make the world a better place. So don't go away anyone, we'll be back in a second. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties is not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. 
And you can subscribe to Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. All our guests, including the great Mark Minovich, will get a complimentary um, uh, annual subscription. So I'm thrilled about that, Mark. Uh, in, the, in the first part of the conversation, your new book is Our Planet Powered by AI. You, you talked about three areas, education, climate, and healthcare, where you believe AI can help uh, power a better planet. Let's begin with education. How can education help american schools in particular not just schools universities seem to be imparting crisis what can ai bring to address some of the the structural problems of education we have structural problems across the united states but we have bigger problems we have values problems we have in our universities today we have rampant anti-semitism unfortunately and i'm not sure uh, how much ai you could involve here to solve this problem but i think you solve this problem by replacing the leadership of some of the biggest universities in the United States that are taking uh, the, the things in, in a different direction by focusing on bigotry and racism and other things which are incompatible, I think, with our democratic system. But I think where AI could come in and what AI could do is AI could hyper-personalize education in the United States. When a student in any, where you're in, uh, in school, um, in the junior high school, in, in high school or in college, you have one type of education, very generic, very broad. I do believe right now that we're in an era where AI has offers capabilities to provide something called hyper-personalization, meaning personalizing lessons for each individual and providing, and besides that, ability to provide uh, augmentation of AI, a whisper agent, if you will, that eventually, if once you are finished that, uh, that specific course, uh, when you had a lecture, you go back to your room, your dorm, your house, and you start uh, participating and you start getting, you know, some of the mentorships and ed education from uh, from the artificial uh, agent, the cognitive agent. So I think we have to do two things. One is we have to make sure that we personalize education to each student. Not everybody is the same, you know, and we want to make sure that avoiding this massive testing that is going on in our schools and universities. I see what's happening is very dreadful. But instead, focusing on education, which is particularly important for that individual, meaning assessments and engagement could be done by AI to figure out where they are, where the, where the maturity uh, is, where the gaps are, and then get the guidance directly to the problem and solve that problem. So hyper-personalization and cognitive agents in education, it's a must. I have seen already in different parts of the world some some usage of this, uh, anecdotal, but there's some usage, and we've seen some universities that are using it. Then there's some there's success to be shown, but this generic version right now, which they're using for everybody, charging arm and a leg for education in the age of AI, it's inconceivable. Uh, you've given some interesting. Uh, interviews about education and jobs uh, in this age of what you call hyper-personalized education with cognitive agents. What becomes of teachers? And, and won't we be going back to the COVID age where everyone's lonely and isolated, where there's no human interaction at all? Yes, I, I don't believe it. I think we have to have a hybrid, like we're having a hybrid environment now at work. There's times for people to get together. You need that human in intervention, this human interaction. But also at the same time, I think, let the machines explore and provide you the feedback that you need on a daily basis. The professors and faculty are not there all the time. So I think you need this combination. You don't want to have loneliness. 
attributing to mental health and other problems. I think you need a good, healthy balance in, in education across the United States. You know, we're falling behind because we're not focusing enough on STEM, especially women and girls. You know, we, we have only 16 to 17% of women engaged in AI and other areas that is very little. You know, it's inconceivable now in, in our century that this is happening. We need to emphasize specifically for women and girls the focus on STEM and AI education, cognitive education, uh, experiential education, a- analytics, analysis, creative. Now, there is a work to be done. I talk a lot about future of work. You're absolutely right. I write a lot about future of work. The future of work is, a, is not just education. It's not just academic institutions. It's not just us. It requires the help from the government. If the government is sitting idle and the government says, okay, the jobs are changing, we're not going to have as many customer service people. We may not, we may have less people in the education field. What could we do to enhance their knowledge so they become really powerful in this new age? You know, and how could they be learning and engaging in AI to be involved in providing maybe different types of lessons and writing those hyper-personalized lessons? Or, for example, how could they be involved in IoT engineering or uh, strategic efforts of AI, uh, something like this, even in farming? All over, you could introduce AI, but you need to have government programs. You have chambers of commerce. You have you need departments of labor. Everybody needs to be on the page to make sure that Americans, not only in America here where we are, but across the world, that we are retrained to be part of this new digital cognitive economy. We've had uh, my friend uh, Robert Pearl on the show. He used to run Kaiser Permanente, one of America's leading thinkers and writers on healthcare. You mentioned healthcare in association with education. I'm assuming that hyperpersonalization and cognitive agents can also play an important role in healthcare. And how can AI address the problem of insurance, which has been a perpetual political and economic and perhaps even moral problem? in the American system for many, many years. So let's go back a question at a time, if I may, sir. Um, You know, I think climate health uh, is real health and health is climate. You can't take this apart. And I will tell you that we're doing a poor job on figuring out the disease spread, even after COVID, pollution monitoring. You know, New York City was, you couldn't breathe. I have incidents of asthma, and in the summer, you couldn't breathe all this air, this bad air that was coming from the mountains in Canada, hitting New York City. It was, it felt like we were in a zombie, uh, zombie stage, you know, could barely see anything. You wouldn't want, we, we need to prevent this. We have enough capabilities and tools to figure out where the next pandemics are coming from, where the next diseases are coming from. We have enough capabilities right now to provide information to our medical professionals at the same time. We have to make sure that health is meeting the environment. That's number one thing assessing. There's a lot of models. We have to localize those models for specific challenges, and we have to bring them to urban areas, cities across the world, like Pakistan and Africa, not only to the United States. I don't think enough is being done here uh, in this case. Coming back to um, AI, AI and health. I just came back, I was in Paris, and I addressed a major conference on AI for Health um, uh, under His Excellency, uh, the President, uh, uh, Emmanuel Macron in in France. Um, And I think that generative AI, this new generative AI that you touched upon when we started this conversation, touches upon so many fields in health. 
And this generative AI is very needed for creating simulating research, uh, creating very needed hypotheses and efficiencies, new models, which will lead to what? Drug discovery. Drug discovery in immunotherapy, drug discovery in cancer treatments. It will accelerate R&D treatments. It will provide faster development of new treatments and therapies. I also have seen something firsthand that I will tell you. I had um, my mother-in-law uh, passed away at, uh, at Memorial Sloan Kettering Center in New York, finest, one of the finest institutions, cancer institutions in the United States and probably the world. But it, they have provided, they without really just based on guts of the doctor saying, okay, use this immunotherapy versus another. How do they know the side effects? Do they know the side effects could be very severe and life-threatening, like in this particular case, causing Julius Barr syndrome? No, they don't. But now slowly and surely they learn from those lessons. They're instituting AI. And AI is now taking a hold of all of the major side effects. And instead of four or five days to figure out what the side effects are, the AI is figuring out those side effects based on massive models and data in literally minutes. So from days to minutes, saving lives, you know, so very important. So I think AI patient care, AI drug discovery, and the list goes on and on is very important. And AI also is very important for people that are not functioning or cannot function in our society. You know, I have bad vision, but people don't even have vision at all. They have no eyesight, they have no hearing. AI could allow them to function in the world. There are a number of technologies, innovative technologies across the world that are providing them capabilities using computer vision and NLP to live a normal life and providing them information as they walk the streets, they go shopping, et cetera. So in all of those areas, AI is a big boost. Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned Macron. He was on the show a few years ago talking about a lot of these issues. He is one of the politicians who seem to get it more than others. Um, healthcare is certainly another area. And the third area you mentioned in the first part, which seems to me that perhaps the most important or certainly the most existential, which um, your the title of your book, I'm guessing, implies our planet powered by AI climate, Mark. How, how can that help? We're just coming off COP28, which was yeah. held controversially um, in the Gulf. Um, I was there. I, I was there at the at the Gulf. So, uh, uh, yeah. how, how can how can AI be used that won't turn it into another sort of global UN style yeah. conference fest where there's a lot of talk and no action? What yeah. uh, one activist calls the blah 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 of, of of international organizations. We don't want that. We, we we don't want we want actions. You know, we don't want every single time corporate executives and corporate investors coming in and saying that we have all this capital committed from our financial institutions and we don't know where to put it. The solutions are simply not there or they're very limited or we are running out of time and we're not able to meet certain standards. 1.5 is already beyond us. And so I, this is an existential threat to our humanity, to our survival, to some of the cities. Uh, you know, uh, next week I'll be in Florida and other places. Who knows what will happen in Miami and other, you know, other places we have to take action right now. You know, it's threatening the United States. It's threatening our military bases across the world. Many countries, micro islands are being threatened. This is a severe issue right now. And I believe strongly, you know, uh, like we started this program, uh, Planet for AI Alliance uh, with UN agencies and corporations. We have to look for solutions outside of the big tech, outside of the financiers, you know, start from bottom up, actually not top down in this particular case. 
And I think AI could play such a major role in green, uh, greenhouse gas emission control. For example, AI actually optimizes energy usage uh, in transportation and buildings, resulting, we know for a fact, deep, much, much, uh, much better, uh, much lower emissions. Uh, predictive AI in that particular situation is forecasting carbon footprints. Real-time data is being used. It's providing insights on every carbon emission. So that's very, very important. We have to also make sure that, for example, one sector of uh, climate is how we get our food, food security. And, and, we, and, and that's also part of climate. So AI is absolutely optimizing crop yields in many countries. We have evidence of this. I put use cases in the book. We have to ensure wastage is minimized. And this is important. It doesn't have enough funds in that area. Critical regions of Africa are grappling with food security because of the situation in Ukraine and Russia. So AI needs to come in and help to minimize that waste. You know, in agriculture area, like I said, crop monitoring, how do we monitor the crops? How do we focus on yield prediction? How do we fold with pest control? Look, uh, some of the great American companies like John Deere, uh, Blue River Technologies, others are very involved in this. You know, I don't know how much profit they make on this, but at least I applaud that they're involved in this process. I think that we need to build a sustainable world with smart energy efficiency, not just energy efficiency. And this is where, again, I stress AI-driven optimization is going to give us that energy conservation that we need. Uh, so that's very important. For me also, very important, I was speaking recently as my book launched this week, uh, biodiversity. We have this big, big, great program that Microsoft released called Microsoft AI for Earth or Wildbook. I, we have to do more. We have to leverage uh, for climate using AI to monitor endangered species, especially because our climate is changing. And we have to have those digital twin uh, programs, those platforms, digital twin cities to be able to do this. Natural, dis natural disaster predictions. This whole situation in Hawaii that happened, we kind of never had any, any solution. The whole town was wiped out in, in Hawaii. Can we use AI? And now we have seen AI being used in Japan to monitor seismic activities, to predict tsunamis, earthquakes. We should do this throughout the world. If there is an innovative technology available in Japan or Korea, can we make sure that it's, it's in used in active areas of the world? Like I said, sustainable agriculture, biodiversity. Um, we have to predict things before tsunamis and earthquakes copy. And, more, and the core of the problem that was discussed at the COP28 in Dubai, by, by the way, they've done a fantastic job. There's so many countries, so many people. You know, there's a lot of voices out there and there's a lot of energy. Everybody wants to contribute. Uh, but we need to be more. We need to be more action oriented. I agree with you. I think carbon capture and energy efficiency still very important. I think AI is facilitating the discovery of new materials for, for carbon capture. Uh, it's very important. AI, AI driven systems are also enabling better integration and must enable better integration of renewable energy, grids, cooling down, reliance on fossil fuel. It's a whole effort. We have to do better job with energy management. AI is perfect solution to optimize energy consumption and production for the environment. You know, Google, you know, we talk about Google. Here's the positive thing. Google is using its deep mind AI technology to optimize data center cooling, data, uh, data centers. Data centers are big emitters of carbon emission, and we have to do something. And they're using something called green AI, and they're using DeepMind's AI technology. And what we're getting is 40% reduction in energy, which is really, really good. So I think 
researchers need to get more involved, much more involved in harnessing AI to pioneer green energy solutions. It's already happening across many universities. It's happening in uh, Montreal in, in something called Mila, where one of the key people, Yosha Benji, you know, Professor Yosha Benji, one of the lead people in convoluted neural network is heavily involved in this. We have to be able to do a better job. And we, like I mentioned so many areas, all those areas deserve attention. Yeah, Mark, I, uh, final question. Um, beginning, we talked about this distinction between good and bad government. Um, yesterday, I did a show with Kevin Casas-Zamora, like you, a man who travels around the world doing international speeches. He's focused on the state of democracy, he runs a group, a right. Stockholm-based group called uh, International uh, IDEA. Um, can... AI be used, and we talked about the various crises of democracy around the world, including potentially in the US in 2024, if Trump comes back to power. Um, can AI be used to uh, address this shift, this trend towards authoritarianism that you clearly don't like? Yeah, I don't think anybody, and I'm not sure who is a proponent of authoritarian, everybody, including, I'm sure both of us, we're going to live free free life, the life that we love and, and, and we deserve to live as, as dignified human beings. But I agree with you. I think we have to push on on responsible, yeah. ethical AI as much as possible. You know, we have to, we don't know how many, again, I will have to tell you, being a big proponent of AI, I'm uncomfortable on transparency and explainability of AI. If AI is making decisions on which, how people are getting mortgages, uh, which procedures are they supposed to be getting? Which doctors will operate? We want to promote algorithmic transparency. Generative AI should be able to help us to provide what is dark and what is opaque into algorithmic transparency. I would like to see more transparency. Uh, I want to see audits. I want to see audits of every algorithm. I want to see details of their development process, number one. So I stand here before your audience to say, no, not everything is working the way it's supposed to be. We also have to figure out how do we make sure we get humans much more in the loop. It is not; it should not be systems running by itself. That is not what we want. I was the big proponent of Society 5.0 when I was in Japan at the G20 conference in 2019. That point was as humans are centered, humans in the loop. We could reduce some of those consequential errors that potentially could be made by you know hallucinations and all those models. We have to make sure that reliability is there, but more importantly, biases. Removing biases from our models, making sure that the scientists are not just white males that are working on this. It's diversified groups. It's women. It's minorities. Everybody is part of this process, not only researchers. we got to focus on upholding standards, big standards, testing, realistic situations. And I did a whole paper at World Economic Forum on fairness. What is fairness and how do we represent issues with fairness? So I believe in the next election coming up, AI could be a beacon of force for good if we enable our systems to make sure, like I think European Union is asking to do, but they are asking them very roughly to do it through heavy regulations. President Biden is asking to make sure when you do this, bring values, the same values that you teach our kids, values of transparency, fairness, uh, trust, no biases, uh, oh, oh, over a period of time, if we do this, we will introduce AI, which we all would feel confident and comfortable. We have to have trust in systems. If we don't have trust in our governments, we don't have trust in our institutions, maybe we could still have a chance to, to build this trust 
with AI while we can. If we get to the point where AI is going to be controlled heavily by the governments, especially authoritarian governments, we're not going to have the chance. Now is the time. I, I call on everyone. 2024 is decisive year. This is where the biggest use cases are coming in. Right now, you're seeing content generation, you're seeing editing, you're seeing packaging, marketing, sales, major use cases which are going to change the world. I would like to see use cases also on the social agenda for 2024. 2024 will have everything will be AI driven, the most powerful businesses. But we have to do it in a way where we are taking care of the problems like bias. We take care of the issues like misinformation, like you mentioned. We don't want misinformation. AI is capable of training. If we have deterministic AI, deterministic AI, we should avoid that. We want to avoid lack of accountability also. So we stand, and I stand in front of you in the most transformative era right now. But I, I, I think we have to do it with vibrancy, diversity, trust, and this spirit. It's a global change. It's a dynamic change. We need all stakeholders here. Don't hold back. Don't say, okay, you have, I, you are working. I'm not working on this. Everybody, we all deserve to work. Academia, research, global community, policymakers. Don't don't think that one international organization could 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 help and do this. We all carry the torch. We all are responsible for a future where AI serves humanity, the environment, and the planet. The reason the book is about the planet because it's not just about humans and it's not just about efficiency. It's about everything on our planet. This yeah, is what I, I, I take your point, Mark. Final, final. Let's end where we began uh, about. One thing you talked about 2024 being a critical year. If there's one thing, you've mentioned a number of different things. If there's one thing that we can focus on when it comes to AI making the, the world a better place in 2024, what should it be? A single thing. If I was to say a single thing is rebuilding, again, rebuilding in 2024 as we build those significant use cases across the world and enterprises and people, let's rebuild trust in AI. Let's rebuild trust in AI as the systems, for example, if they are, if we are entering algorithmic economy with generative AI, let's make sure the systems are trusted and let's do everything possible, build methodologies, programs, government-enabled, consumer-enabled uh, corporates, make sure that AI are, are trusted. Then we could start really getting involved and building a world that we really love and, and care for. So this is what I really hope for. I hope there's, not, there's no fear or panic. And, and nobody is instilling this fear that suddenly AI is going to hijack us, going to take over. You know, we want to focus on progress, a real progress for humanity.